Welcome to Grace Downtown. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, we're so glad that you joined us today and that you're tuning in um, from wherever you are. Uh, my name is Marissa Yorgi, and I am the coordinator for the Downtown Children's Ministry here. Um, and so I am bringing you the only announcement for this week, which is next Sunday, May 17th, we are going to have a drive-through giveaway for all the families of Grace, uh, downtown and the North Liberty families. Uh, come to the North Liberty campus from 1 to 3, and we have some goodie bags um, for your kids, for those pre-K and for the elementary kids. Um, and parents, we even have a little something for you. So again, that's next week, May 17th. Come on to the North Liberty campus from 1 to 3. Um, like I said, it's a drive through and we'll hand you your goodie bags, um, and then you can be on your way and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Uh, that's all we have for announcements this week, um, but as always, um, keep up to date with things through the website, through the Facebook pages. Always be checking out there for any other announcements that are going on throughout the week. Uh, today's scripture reading is from 1 Thessalonians 5. 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. This is the word of the Lord. I think one of the things that I love most about my mother, she's always been one of my biggest mentors in my life. She's really kind and caring. I feel like I can be open to her and she will know that I'm doing my best to follow Christ in, in any way I can. There were some very difficult moments in that first year. You know, for when they're young, there are some very trying moments. You're very exhausted, but it changes you like no other and you see yourself in a completely different light because you love with such incredible passion. Like, I would have attacked anybody that came after my baby. And you never, ever imagine loving anything as much as you love that baby. God has revealed himself to me through my relationship with my children in incredible ways, ways I really didn't expect when I became a mom. I remember holding my first little baby just being blown away that I was his daughter and that he loved me that much. It seemed impossible because I loved her so much. I would for sure die for her, for sure, but I would never give her life for someone else. But he did that for me. So it was twofold. It was that he loves me as a daughter with a love that I hadn't comprehended before. Um, and secondly, that he gave his only son. God has taught me so much about who he really is instead of who I thought he was by raising a child. So the concept of God really loves me all the time, even when I do stupid things, we get that, but I'm not sure we always get that in our beliefs. And. I always love my child, even when she's doing stupid things. And she does. She loves making messes, and I am not a messy person. And she just, she likes the chaos, and I'm like, you drive me crazy. And so he's taught me so much about how 
truly deep his love is. And I don't think I, uh, I don't think I was grateful enough for how much he cares and how he does attend to little details. And um, he, I mean, he even sees now when she makes one of my hairs gray, he knows that and cares that that, that was a rough spot and is good to disciple me through that still. So often I have to tell my kids to wait or know because I love them and I want something better for them down the road or know because it's just gonna hurt you. No, and they don't understand why. Even if I try to explain, they don't understand why because they don't agree. <laughs> but God does that to me all the time, you know? And I see seeds of myself in my kids. You know, I'm much more like them than I am unlike them. <laughs> so I'm this daughter of God too that doesn't understand why he pulls in the rain sometimes or says, do this or no, I'm, I'm not gonna allow this or I'm calling you to something different and you just don't understand it right now. It feels like I'm taking something from you but I'm really wanting more for you and I have more for you, just trust me. We have definitely been in a transition period recently as we're in the high school years now and um, so a lot is changing and for me, it's a new stage of relying on God because it is a fact that I cannot control everything they're doing and I really have to completely give all of my children over to the Lord. I remember one night I, I was writing a song. It was actually about like my doubt that God exists and like I, I went to her for that. We were on the porch and we were talking about it and she, she answers my question thoroughly. She definitely made me see that God is there and he's moving in people's lives. I mean, I just love her character. Like, she has like a really sweet smile. <laughs> when they're in that um, frame of mind where they want to talk and they have a lot of questions, we can have some really deep conversations. And so that brings us closer together because we're not just talking about surface stuff, but we're, we're really trying to get into the heart of what's going on. Why are you feeling the way you're feeling? How could God be using this in your life? What could he be preparing you for? And that's where I have to just give it over to the Lord too. And remember that he's absolutely in control of where they're going. And the path that he has for them may not be the road that I want them to go down, but it will be in line with his will for them. And it's developing something in them that is going to be for a greater purpose in the future. And I don't know that future. I can't see that future. So I have to trust God that he's bringing exactly the right things in line because he has a purpose for them. He has a, a place he's taking them, a goal for them. So complete surrender in all of parenthood. Hi everyone, welcome to service here at Grace Community Church downtown. If you're part of the downtown church, we really miss you all. Miss being able to gather here, but glad to be able to meet online at service together. If you're not part of our church downtown here at Grace Community Church, uh, we'd like to welcome you to the service. So glad you tuned in. And we hope that you not only feel welcome here online, but uh, here's something uh, from the scriptures today and from the Lord that is encouraging to you and is helpful and hopeful to you. 
Before launching into the sermon, I did want to remind everyone, uh, you likely, if you're part of the church, you likely saw an update about COVID-19 and coronavirus uh, and what we're doing at church. If you have not yet seen that update, we'd encourage you to check it out and go online to the website, graceb3.org, and there's an update there about our policies and procedures right now, and you can check those out. Uh, We will have a more uh, substantial announcement on May 24th about some policies and procedures. So watch for that service coming up in just a few weeks where we'll have some more announcement about what we're doing as a church in the midst of coronavirus. Also, as downtown church, we're right here in the middle of university life and middle of the campus. And this time of year when people graduate and often move on, And so we'd like to have some time as a downtown family just to congratulate those who are graduating. Uh, We're doing this in a different way than we've ever had to do before, but if you're graduating this semester, we want to say congratulations. Uh, Some other people, not necessarily graduating, but you're moving on. Uh, Some people have job change and job transition will be moving on. And so we'd like to have a chance to congratulate folks who are graduating and also have a chance to say goodbye to those who will be moving on. And so we are aiming to have a virtual lobby Uh, online at some point in the future to be able to congratulate people, to celebrate together, and also say goodbye. So be watching for more details. But in the meantime, congratulations to those of you who are hitting graduation here in the next couple of weeks. Proud of the work that you're doing, proud of how you're pursuing God's call and your vocation in life, and want to celebrate with you, but also encourage you. Today is Mother's Day, and we want to say Happy Mother's Day to everyone, and we hope that you are having a good day celebrating uh, with family. I'd like to open with prayer as we move into our sermon. I'd like to be able to pray for, uh, for mothers on Mother's Day today. Lord God, we're so grateful for all the ways that you're good to us. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, and that today we can rest in your grace for us, that today you wash us of our sin, and we can rest in your grace and mercy. Lord, we also just want to thank you today for mothers. Uh, We thank you for how uh, all of us uh, have had a mother in our life at one one way or another, and we are so grateful for the gift of mothers. And we pray that you would just bless mothers today. We pray that you would give moms a great day with their families. Um, We pray, Lord God, that they would know how special and important they are. And pray also, Lord, that you would remind them how special and important they are. Lord, we also like to pray for those for whom Mother's Day is a difficult day. For those maybe who want to be mothers but have struggled, and we pray that you would bring them peace and be their peace today and bring others around them who can bring peace to them. For those who have difficult uh, relationships with their mothers or did not get a chance to really know their mothers, and Mother's Day is a hard time, or maybe they've lost their mother this last year, we pray that you would also bring them peace, Lord God. In a day when many might be celebrating and others might be hurting, we pray that you would bring peace. And Lord, today remind us all that if we've placed our faith in you, you are our Heavenly Father, that all of us have a sure and a good Heavenly Father in you. So Lord, we pray that you would bless this day in all these ways, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we are continuing in our series on 1 Thessalonians. We are really nearing the end of this series. And tonight we'll have a sermon that covers the verses that Marissa just read for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 22 where Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now as we hear this phrase, do not quench the Spirit, it probably raises some questions. It sounds like 
it's clear what Paul is maybe talking about, but maybe it raises more questions than it answers. I know for me, I grew up in a church where sometimes there was a lot of talk about what the Spirit did, and I had some assumptions about what the Spirit did. I'll let you in on one of those. I was in high school, and I loved a lot of the things that happened to church. I loved ministries at the church. I loved being with other believers as we prayed and grew together in Christ. And I felt that maybe I was being called to pastoral ministry. But I grew up in a church context where my ears were hearing uh, the way I interpreted things being said was that to be a preacher means that you have to go into the prayer closet on Saturday. And you pray for like one or two hours. You have this deep, intense time with God. And God reveals to you a word that his people need to hear. What it means to be a preacher is to have this kind of direct line. You've got a bat phone where you can call up God and be in touch and get the direct line from God about what he wants to tell his people. And I felt, I don't have that happen. I pray. There are seasons of life when I pray a lot. And in even the best seasons of prayer, I don't feel like I've ever heard from God in that way. So I felt something like a call to ministry. I wanted to be involved in church ministry. And I felt like, I'm not sure that I can do this because I don't hear from God. I was actually struggling between that and being an engineer. And in both ways, I felt like I'm not equipped. Engineering, I felt like a door was slammed in my face because I did really well in math until I hit calculus. And then all of a sudden, it was like hitting a brick wall. I was studying hard, couldn't make it. I was like, well, maybe being an engineer is not my thing if I can't get past calculus. So I thought, maybe it's ministry. But then I ran into a brick wall there because I had this assumption that what it means to live in the Spirit and not quench the Spirit is to have kind of like this direct line where I was hearing from God. And I thought, if I can't have that experience, maybe I can't be a preacher. Maybe other people, when they hear this phrase, do not quench the Spirit, and then Paul goes on to say, do not despise prophecies. What it means to really fan into flame the work of the Spirit. It means to have all of these very, very evident kind of gifts of the Spirit, very uh, kind of maybe even flashy gifts of the Spirit going on. Is that what it means to not quench the Spirit? Or maybe even just thinking of it as a metaphor. When it says don't quench the Spirit, this is the metaphor of not putting out a fire. And in other places in the scriptures, the Spirit is referred to like a fire or is represented as fire. So if we don't quench the Spirit, is the opposite of that fanning into flame these embers that would become this burning fire. But in some ways, fire, when it becomes massive like that, it's a destructive force. So is Paul talking about like this violent, ravaging fire? What, what's Paul getting at? So sometimes these kinds of phrases in the Bible, they seem a little confusing or don't seem self-evident, but what we'll find today as we dig into this, we have to be students of the Scripture, and as we dig into the Word and get clear about what it's saying, we'll find here in this context that Paul is saying that the work of the Spirit, when we don't quench the Spirit and the work of the Spirit is among us, he is going to fan into the flame habits of peace, habits of practicing peace with one another and bringing the goodness of his divine and supernatural kingdom among us as we keep in step with the Spirit, and as the Spirit calls us to live in peace and joy and love and patience and kindness with one another. It's a truly divine work, but the fruit of it is seen in our peace with one another. So let's jump in together today. So Paul says, again, 1 Thessalonians five nineteen through 22 Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. 
hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So the overarching command here that Paul gives in verse 19 is don't quench the spirit. That's the overarching command. There's a a more specific application of that. He says, okay, so don't quench the spirit. And specifically, don't despise prophecies. Paul has to say this because some in the church in Thessalonica had stopped respecting or giving attention to prophetic utterances that were being given. They had stopped listening to prophecies, and in that way, they had despised them. So Paul is telling them, look, the the Spirit has provided this gift for the church. There are some people who have a gift of being able to share a prophetic word, a prophetic message. Listen to them as that is a gift from the Spirit, and don't quench the Spirit when the Spirit uses them. But there are other ways to quench the Spirit. So for the Thessalonians, what they were specifically dealing with was that they were not uh, listening to these prophetic messages. Some at least weren't listening to them or not adhering to them. But there are other ways that we can quench the Spirit. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. What's Paul's advice? Paul's advice to them is to be moderate. So Paul says, don't despise these prophecies. That's his way of saying being open to them. Listen to them. Consider them. But he also says, be careful. Be careful and be wise. Don't despise prophecies, but also don't just swallow anything and everything that somebody says because they claim to be a prophet. He says, test everything. Don't despise prophecies, so don't reject them outright, but at the same time, test them, evaluate them. Do they square with what the rest of Scripture says? Does this seem to be in line with the kind of things that Jesus taught? And then if it is something that seems to be sure and reliable, squares with Scripture, then Paul says, hold fast what is good. Hold fast to those prophetic utterances that seem to be true and reliable and are of the Lord and square with what Scripture says, with what the Old Testament says, and with what Jesus was known to teach. So Paul is then giving them this moderate kind of advice. Be moderate. Don't despise prophecies, but test them. And if they seem to be reliable, hold to them. So we need to address a question that everyone probably is asking right now. It's a fair question, which is, do we believe as a church that these kinds of gifts continue? That prophecy is still a gift that's available for churches and for Christians today? Most, I believe that most, if not all of your elders at Grace, believe that prophecy is still possible for the church and can continue into the life of the church today. There are some points of nuance, we want to be very clear. Uh, And now I'm speaking a little more as a specific elder, Steve Shepherdly, this individual here. (laughs) I think that we should remember that uh, when prophecy came in the New Testament era, it came at a time when the New Testament was not yet fully formed. So people in Paul's day, as Paul's writing this to the Thessalonians, what was the Bible that they had? They largely just had the Old Testament and leaned upon some uh, of the sayings of Jesus. They knew some things about Jesus, but we did not have this fully formed New Testament yet in Paul's day. So they didn't have the New Testament to lean upon. So if people were going to hear and be directed from God, it seems like it was possible for prophecy to maybe be a little more common in that era for people like the Apostle Paul and others around him. But once the New Testament becomes fully formed, and a couple hundred years later everyone agrees what the New Testament is, and it's clear what the Spirit has breathed out through the New Testament authors, and what is God's Word, both Old Testament and now New Testament, it seems like it is reasonable to, to expect that maybe some of that prophecy was starting to wane a bit. And I think that's why in church history we see a little less prophecy around that time. 
Also, what's the nature of prophecy? This prophecy was not equal to Scripture. When a prophetic utterance had to be given, it had to be tested because it was not the equal authority of Scripture. So it's not the same weight as revealed once for all Scripture like the Old Testament and what eventually was recognized as the New Testament. And because of that, we have to be careful with prophecy. I grew up in a church context, in a Pentecostal church, where we were very open to prophecy. And I saw times when things worked well, but I also saw many times when things did not work well. When maybe we were so, uh, so desirous to hear a word from the Lord today, to hear a prophetic word from the Lord today, that maybe we weren't as quick to test what was said. That was kind of problematic. Sometimes, uh, for me, I sometimes went to service and was more concerned about listening to uh, what seemed to maybe be a prophetic message today, but overlooking the revealed message of Scripture that God had already given us, that is sure and is true and is tested and is deeply authoritative. And sometimes I found in my own life, while I was waiting for the next prophetic message, I wasn't attending to Scripture, which was already God-breathed, breathed out by the Spirit. And it's quite good. <laughs> so there are ways that we need to be nuanced as we approach prophecy. And I think that most of our elders at Grace are open to these prophetic gifts uh, uh, unfolding at different times in the life of the church. But I don't think that Paul's primary concern here is with prophecy. It might seem like it is. I think specifically what the Thessalonians were dealing with is that they were despising prophecy, but the larger issue is that it was causing them to quench the Spirit. So what Paul wants us to hear here is that we do not quench the Spirit, and there are a host of ways that we can quench the Spirit. So today, let's talk about what it looks like to not quench the Spirit. And that leads to a bunch of questions. What is the work of the Spirit that Paul is describing here? So not just that prophecies would come, what would these prophecies accomplish in the life of the church as, as the Thessalonians listened to these prophecies and tested them and evaluated them? What would the Spirit be accomplishing through those in the life of the church? To know what the work of the Spirit is, we can't just look at these few verses here. We have to read in context. So tonight is a great opportunity to learn how we read the Bible, how to be good students of the Scriptures. So first of all, let's look at the immediate context. The immediate context gives us a picture of what Paul is talking about. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 a couple of things about peace. In verses 13 through 15, he talks about peace and how the Thessalonians should be practicing peace with one another and then extending that peace to others in the world. And then in 523, after Paul talks about prophecy and not quenching the Spirit, Paul returns to this theme of peace. So Paul has built a sandwich here. <laughs> there are two buns that talk about peace, and in the middle is the sandwich filling where we have this message about not quenching the Spirit. So let's look at the first section here, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 13 through 15. We preached about this just a couple weeks ago. Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. And then Paul lists ways that you can live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. If people are idle, they're not contributing to the peace and well-being of everybody else around them. If they're idle, they might be gossiping and stirring up trouble. That's not a picture of peace. They might not be working and they're having to lean upon others for their needs. That's not a picture of peace. 
So Paul then moves on and says, encourage the faint-hearted. If people are afraid and fearful, give them a word of comfort and bring them some peace. Paul is laying out all kinds of ways that we can bring people peace. He says, help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So Paul is talking about habits of practicing peace. Then, as we get to verses 19 through 22, that's where Paul says, don't quench the spirit. But after 22, he immediately returns to this theme of peace. In verse 23, Paul writes this. Now may the God of peace, the God of what? The God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we put this all together in 1 Thessalonians 5, what we see is Paul is telling them, you're going to be waiting for Jesus to return. In 523, he says, you should be growing in sanctification as you wait for his return. But it's the God of peace who will sanctify you. And Paul has already told them, here's some things that you can do to practice peace with one another. So when in the middle of these two sections, Paul mentions not quenching the spirit. And Paul mentions not despising prophecies, but testing prophetic words as they come. What Paul is talking about is leaning into the work of the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. Lean into the work of the spirit who will aid you in growing in sanctification. You will look more and more like God, your heavenly father. And this should be looking like a people who can practice peace with one another. The work of the spirit, not quenching the spirit, but fanning that spirit into the flame should look like us being a body who can practice peace with one another in robust, concrete, palpable ways. That's what Paul's getting at in context. And so then being, trying to be good students of scripture, if we take another step back and say, what are other contexts in the New Testament have to say about the work of the Spirit? They say very similar things. So let's look at Galatians 5. We'll look at verses 25 through 26. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So he's clearly talking about being led by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit. And then he goes on in verse 26. And he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, what Paul is saying is, if you are led by the Spirit, if I am led by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, it should cause us to not be conceited. It should cause us to not provoke one another. It should cause us not to envy one another. Instead, we should be experiencing humility that brings us together. Have you ever been in a relationship where conceit or arrogance makes that relationship strong? <laughs> where it builds strong relationship? I remember being in a classroom where there was a professor who just felt this constant need to affirm his intellectual prowess and capabilities. And I just remembered it always drove students away. I remember he said in class, um, I've never had a student question my intellectual integrity and abilities. And I remember a friend of mine in the class came up to me afterwards and said, well, if you haven't, I'm the first one to do that. <laughs> the fact that you'd be willing to say that makes me question your intellectual capacities. Conceit does not lead to strong relationships. Provoking one another clearly doesn't lead to strong relationships. But if we're led by the Spirit, we shouldn't be provoking one another, but should be bringing peace to one another and caring for one another. If we're led by the Spirit and we live, with the, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, we don't envy one another. And envy doesn't make for good relationships. These kinds of things, if we live according to the flesh, 
what Paul talks about in Galatians 5 is that we can either keep in step with the Spirit, live according to the Spirit, or we can walk in the flesh. By that, Paul means we can live according to our natural kind of human desires that are opposed to God and God's will, to God's good purposes. And if we live according to the flesh, it's going to look like this. We'll be conceited. We'll provoke one another. We'll be envious of one another. And this is death. And this is poison to our relationships. It's absolutely poisonous to our relationships. So much so that Paul says in Galatians 5, 15, this very chapter, he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's saying when we live according to the flesh, our kind of default mode to be conceited or to be uh, greedy or self-involved or uh, not able to think about others or honor others or care for others, when we live in that default mode, it causes us to become mutually destructive to one another. That's what the flesh does to us. As Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. And it should lead to the opposite. It should be humble, thinking well of others. Instead of provoking others, we're trying to bring them peace and treat them well. Instead of envying people, we can rejoice in their success. We see this play out in other places in Scripture. Acts 6. Let's look at a concrete example of this unfolding in the life of the church. So in Acts 6, the Spirit had just come to the church. The church had not yet had the gift of the Holy Spirit until Acts 2. So finally the Spirit is given. You've got this great community that's living together. They're sharing their goods with one another. But a problem emerges in this early church. They had a daily distribution of bread to care for the needs of the poor among them and to care especially for widows. And they started to notice a problem. There were some who were uh, Gentile widows. They were not Jewish Christians. They were Gentile Christians. And they were part of the community of faith. And yet in this daily distribution of bread, these Greek or Gentile widows were being overlooked. There's a sense of favoritism being given to the Jewish widows. And so the church noticed there's a problem. But this church is freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit had just fallen on this church. And what did this freshly filled, spirit-empowered church do? They came up with the solution to meet these needs and to bring peace to this situation. And what did they do? In particular, they appointed seven guys who themselves had to be filled with the Spirit. They had to have signs that they're filled with the Spirit to oversee this distribution of bread, to make sure that the distribution of bread was being done well and that nobody was being overlooked. And it was a moment ripe for increasing division to pull this early church community apart. And yet, what did the Spirit do to these freshly filled believers? It caused them to work through to unity and to peace and to taking care of those who had been overlooked. The work of the Spirit, when we fan that Spirit into flame, when we don't quench the Spirit... That should be a work that God is accomplishing in us that enables us to live in peace with one another. It's a divinely empowered work that God works in us by the power of his spirit. So tonight, I'd like to encourage all of us to not quench the spirit. As Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the spirit. That's a command he gives in Ephesians 5. Be filled with the spirit. What's the fruit of that? That they start to submit to one another in love. In Galatians 5, don't quench the Spirit. What are we supposed to do? But walk in the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And as we do that, may God guide us into greater practices of peace with one another. To bring his kingdom to earth, to to reality here and now. Not by our power, but as the Spirit is working in us. 
So how are some ways we can do this? Paul doesn't spell these out all in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, One way that we can uh, not quench the Spirit is that we can become students of what the Bible has to say about peace because the Bible is already God's Spirit-breathed Word. He's already given us so much uh, about how He would have us to live and how He would have us to walk. We should become students of what the, the Spirit has already breathed out in Scripture about how to live in peace. Know what the fruit of the Spirit are in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, these kinds of things. Know what those are and know what those look like in concrete reality and try and practice them. Know what steps toward uh, working through conflict look like. Look at Matthew 18. What does it look like to work through conflict? It tells us there. Go to people and address things head on if you have an issue with somebody instead of going around and gossiping about it and stirring up trouble or division. Know the importance of honoring others over yourself as Paul tells us in Romans 12. Know the importance of bearing one another's burdens. Or know how to help a brother or sister. If somebody you know is struggling with a sin, know how to restore them gently, as Paul says in Galatians 6. These are all ways of practicing peace. When somebody has a need, know how to step in and meet that need and bring them some peace. There are a host of ways that the scriptures have already made clear to us how we can be about peace. And we need to know those and really know them well so that they become a bit of second nature to us. So we need to attend to what God has already breathed out in the scriptures about how to practice peace. A second thing then is not only be good students of Scripture and know what the Scriptures have to say about practicing peace with one another, but we also then need to um, be attentive to the Spirit when the Spirit convicts us of our sin. Uh, Jesus makes it clear in the Gospel of John that one of the things the Spirit does is He convicts us of sin. And so when the Spirit comes to us, whether we're reading Scripture and we read about the fruit of the Spirit, I actually had this happen this week, I was reading over the fruit of the Spirit, and I was thinking, there are two of these that I have struggled with this week, and I felt the Spirit convict me of that as I was reading the Word. And when the Spirit convicts, we need to lean into that and be open to Him convicting us and shining a light on areas where we are sinning, where we're not practicing peace, where we're actually uh, bringing conflict or turmoil or adding friction to our communities. We need to be open to the Spirit when He convicts us, and that can be painful. Nobody enjoys having their faults put into a spotlight. Nobody enjoys that. But the good news of the gospel is that as the Spirit can convict us of sin, he can also remind us of the grace of Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that as we place our trust in him and go to him and say, God, I've I've sinned again. I've not been patient this week. I've not been loving this week. I've been self-centered in these ways. We can confess that, and there is forgiveness for that. But then the Lord also can move us on to want to grow, to grow beyond that. Not only receive forgiveness and receive mercy, to have our sin and our shame washed away, but then to also then move on from there and grow and to say, okay, how can I begin practicing peace? How can I begin practicing patience this week? And so that leads to our final point. We need to be open to the Spirit's prompting as he reminds us of Scripture and urges us to act. So the Scripture has already made really clear um, what a lot of habits of peace look like. And sometimes what the Spirit does is he convicts us when we've fallen short, but sometimes the Spirit will then prompt us or urge us to do what the Scriptures have said in real time. Sometimes it's the better part of wisdom to know how to carry this out. Sometimes it's super clear. The Scriptures have told us to meet these kinds of needs. I see a need. It just seems clear I need to step in. 
Other times it feels like the Spirit is doing something special to kind of prompt us and urge us in ways that we might not understand. So I'll explain one of those. Um, I was in college uh, about 20 years ago, had a really close friend. He and I did a lot of ministry together. We were close friends, enjoyed hanging out together, but did a lot of ministry together as well. And we ended up having a bit of a disagreement. I thought that he was doing some things that were a little bit inappropriate uh, in some of our uh, ministry uh, work together. And I felt like I needed to talk to him about it. I was getting frustrated about it. I felt like we weren't necessarily being respectful to some people around us in the way that we were trying to minister. And so I was getting frustrated and felt like I needed to talk to him. And I knew the Bible said in Matthew 18, if you have something against somebody, you should go to them. But I was really struggling to feel like I could go to him. I thought, I'm not great at working through conflict. <laughs> I kind of felt like my spiritual gift is pacifism because I'm a chicken. <laughs> my spiritual gift is pacifism because I don't like conflict. But I felt like I probably should talk to him. But I was struggling to come up with the right words or the right time to do that. And I was starting to struggle with maybe uh, being tempted to want to talk to other people about it. And maybe flirt with gossiping or uh, you know, speaking poorly of my friend instead of just going right to him. So in the middle of this, not only am I not necessarily doing what Matthew 18 tells us to do, go to somebody when you have an issue, I'm starting to flirt with other sins on my own. So we're at a service together one night, and afterwards there's this great prayer time. Uh, My friend was in a different part of the room praying, and I was in uh, another part praying. And I just felt as if the Lord was kind of urging me. This is not common for me to really feel an urging of the Lord, but I just felt urged or prompted, get up and go talk to your friend. Go talk to him. You've got to talk to him. So I was nervous about what this was going to look like. I, don't, I did not feel like conflict was a gift I uh, was really suited to, to work through. But I thought, I've got to do this. And I stood up and I turned to go walk to my friend. And lo and behold, he's already getting up and walking to me. He was already walking to me. So as the Lord prompted me, the Spirit seemed to prompt me to take action. The Spirit was already at work in my friend, prompting him. And as we came together, I didn't hardly have a chance to get any words out of my mouth. And he said, I think I've been doing some things that were wrong, and I want to talk with you about that. So as the Lord prompted me, as the Spirit seemed to prompt, it led to a time of peace, a time of reconciliation. He and I embraced, we hugged, and we prayed together. Our relationship was strong and solid. We could minister together without this tension between us. We could hang out together without this tension between us. When I came to him, what was really neat is that I thought I was being prepared for a moment of confrontation, but it was clear the Spirit had already been working in him. My job was to affirm him and say, way to go to recognize this, to follow the leading of the Spirit spirit and way to go to like uh, be courageous enough to to come talk about this. I think God is pleased with that and I'm proud of you and I appreciate that and let's move forward together. And so my role in his life looked a little different at that moment as I was following the spirit's leading and prompting. But if I hadn't followed his prompting, I'm not sure that he would have talked with me. And if he hadn't followed the spirit's prompting, this conversation would not have happened. But it led to peace. It led to better ministry. It led to better friendship. The Spirit can work in us to lead to this kind of peace. And as that kind of peace comes, isn't it good? Have you experienced this? I know you have. I know many of you have. I've been in rooms as you've worked through these things together and seen peace come. This is a gift of God that gives us his peace to us. But it's also a call. He calls us to not quench the Spirit, but to be able to listen to the Spirit, be attentive to what the Spirit has already said in the Scriptures, 
to be open to this, the Scripture's convicting power, and then to be willing to step out and act when the Spirit prompts us to act and do what the Scriptures say. And He'll bring peace. And not only peace for us to enjoy, but peace that glorifies Him. Peace that says something about the power of God. As I get older, the older I get, the more I see the divine, supernatural power of God being demonstrated in relationships that move forward to peace than I do maybe in some kind of a a supernatural kind of sign gift, like somebody giving a prophetic utterance. When those come, I praise God for them when they're valid and when they're legitimate and when they move things forward. But when I see people who have been historically at odds come together, that is a miracle. And it demonstrates the power of God, the power of the gospel, the power of the Spirit. And it says something to the world when they see that happen. Let's be part of a community that continues to experience that peace where we can sink into it, enjoy it together, but also a community that's practicing that peace in such a way that it glorifies our Heavenly Father. As we close tonight, maybe you're watching and you have never placed your faith in Jesus and maybe you're not part of a community that's practicing this peace together. Maybe you've been at a church before that was not really good at practicing this kind of peace together. And it's caused you to maybe move away from church or move away from Christ. I'd like to encourage you tonight to place your faith in Christ. Place your faith in him. And as you place your faith in him, that's how you receive this spirit. When Paul tells us to keep in step with the spirit, he's not telling people, you have the capacity in and of yourself to live out peace with one another. This is only possible because the spirit is given to us as a divine gift. And that spirit empowers us. It's that spirit that convicts us. It's that spirit that prompts us and leads us. It's that spirit that reminds us of what the scriptures have said. But we have to have that spirit within us. How do we receive that spirit? We receive that spirit, as Paul says in Galatians. We receive it by hearing about the gospel. Hearing about what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Placing our faith in Jesus. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I encourage you to do that today. If you feel too sinful... You don't deserve God's love. You're among friends here. None of us deserve God's love. And all of us are sinners who don't deserve God's love. But God has still chosen to send his son Jesus to die for us and to die for you. So we encourage you, and I would encourage you today, place your faith in Jesus. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his mercy. Whatever shame you feel, whatever guilt you feel, he will wash that away through Jesus' work on the cross. He took your sin on the cross. As he washes that away, he also gives you his spirit. And then he wants to invite you to be part of a people where you can experience that together. If you would like to connect with people at church and you're not part of community, it's really hard to get connected in community right now with all that's going on with coronavirus and we're being forced to be distant. But I'd like to invite you. One way that you can connect is you can just email us at the downtown church. I know that might seem a little mechanical, but that's what we have right now. You can email us, and we'd love to reach out with you, connect with you, help you to take your steps of faith with Christ, and then also to get connected with others and experience this peace together. God, tonight we're so grateful for your mercy for us. We're thankful that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, but have showered us with rich, rich grace. Lord, we also want to thank you that as we've placed our faith in you, you have put your spirit within us that your spirit lives and dwells within us. Social distancing cannot stop your spirit from living within us. And Lord, we thank you that you're with us. And Lord, we also thank you that your spirit is refining us 
You're like a cleansing fire that refines us and burns out the sinful elements. And Lord, we pray that you would continue that. Cause us to be people, Lord God, who don't quench the Spirit, but Lord God, fan into flame the work of the Spirit as we dig deeply into your Word and as we allow the Spirit to convict us and as we also try to take steps of being led by the Spirit and doing what what the Spirit would call us to do. And Lord, as we do that, may we experience your peace with one another. And Lord, may your kingdom be evident in the world around us and may you receive all the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great to be with you all this evening. Go in grace and look forward to seeing you again soon.